Offscript with Super E recommends listener discretion as these real but sometimes uncensored stories can be filled with mature content. Hello everybody, Jay here. It's good to be back with you for another episode of Offscript with Super E. Coming to you live from A-Train Studios, sitting here with, as always, A-Train. A-Train, say something. Hi, everybody. It's A-Train. And uh, I'm really happy that Jay's back, aren't you? I'm happy he's back, too. Safe yeah. and sound from locking up all the bad guys. That's Thanks, right. Super E. That's Thanks, right. Super E. I'm glad to be back. Well, Super E, so uh, this episode is going to be... A great one, special one, whatever word we want to use for it. It's the it's the uh, uh, event that happened to me that all police officers worry about and pray that never happens to them. But it happened to me and I'm still here. Right on. Yes, I remember that when that happened to you. Well, I don't see any reason to stall any further. Super E, tell us your tale. All right. This was back in about 19, well, beginning of 1999, when we were all worried about Y2K and our department had lumped all the uh, narcotics branches together. We no longer had it east, west, south, north. We were all in one big unit. And we had a lot of complaints because crack was uh, just destroying our city and neighborhoods were under siege. So we were constantly doing search warrants. And sometimes we're doing three and four search warrants a night, which is unheard of today because they're, you know, every search warrant, no matter what, is extremely dangerous. But we had all these neighborhood complaints. We had all this, you know, kind of like pressure to, you know, get this done, take care of this neighborhood, make sure it's safe. People are complaining. So we were just making buys and doing search warrants and we did all our own search warrants. We very rarely use SWAT because we're doing so many in SWAT. They take they take a long time because they are very professional and well planned out. And we just did the best we could because we were going from search warrant to search warrant to search warrant. So um, I had made a buy out of a complaint house. And a couple of days later, I sent one of our old informants up there. He'd never been there before just to see if the people were still there, because sometimes these people would sell out a house for a week and then move on so i wanted to make sure that all the same players were in there and we sent our guy up and he came back he had a little bit of crack i go well what are they doing in there i was asking about any additional dogs new kids or anything like that he goes no they just bought a whole bunch of new shotguns and they're uh practicing on how to use them if anybody comes into the house and i was like holy shit the next people that are going to be going through the house is going to be us. And being my search warrant, the first person going through that front door will be me. Uh-huh. Because when we did when we did a search warrant, you know, you, you screened police, you gave it a couple of counts, and then you rammed that door. And the person whose search warrant was, you ran through that front door. You didn't peek around and go, anybody in here? No, you hit the door running like <laughs> Usain Bolt. Right. So when he told me that, I started realizing, man, one of us is going to get shot. You know, the odds we're doing so many search warrants. The odds are very high 
the somebody, a police officer, is going to get shot doing these search warrants. And so I was thinking about that all the way back to the office. And our office was in the one of our old police academies. And on the wall, they had all the fallen officers. And there was like a couple hundred of them. And I was looking at all these officers and I was thinking to myself, they had no idea the day they went to work that they were never coming home or seeing their families ever again. And I was like, you know what? It could happen to anybody. You know, I'm not special. It could happen to me. And then I, it was, then I all of a sudden started thinking, I'm going to be the next guy who's going to be shot. That was running through my head. Really? And yeah, it was running through my head. I said, it, and then it, like the next, I had a, I was thinking this for like two days. And I'm, I'm like, man, I'm the one who's going to get shot. I had this, pre, it was a premonition. I'm going to get shot. But I didn't tell anybody that because I don't want to sound like a, a psycho. I wasn't Kreskin. And so I just kept it to myself. <laughs> right. And so one day, you know, I'm just, you know, driving down our main drag. And I see this female walking down the street dressed like Britney Spears. Remember when she got real popular, she would wear the Catholic school skirt and shoes with the white socks. Yeah. And the, and I'm like, okay, I know this isn't Britney Spears, but I got to see what she's up to because I know it's nothing good. So she jumps in a car. Um, she, if Britney Spears was extremely skanky, it was her. And, uh, she immediately propositioned me, uh, sex for money because she told me she was going to go buy some crack. So hey, I told, I told, super, yeah. I got a question. So, okay, so you had gotten this search warrant for this house, but you had you you weren't ready to hit it yet. So you're out doing some vice. No, 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 no. That was a completely unrelated house. Those people just had shotguns, and that made me start thinking about getting shot. Right. Okay. Okay. So, okay. so that house, so that house was completely unrelated. Okay, so the shotgun house made you start thinking about yeah, it just it just made me of the job, right? Gotcha. And, and yes, and I was the next one that was going to get shot, and I kept it to myself because I didn't want to look like a nut. Okay. So, anyways, I'm going to arrest this girl, and she goes, "Wait a minute, I don't want to go to jail. I will uh, make a buy for you out of this drug house." that these two guys are causing all kinds of problems in the neighborhood and um, they're selling a lot of crack and they're, they're fucking assholes. Mm-hmm. And I said, all right. So um, I told her, I said, we'll make this by the next day. And then I got my partner. His name is Paul. I don't, do you guys know who I'm talking about? Tall redheaded guy. Great yes. guy. Yes. Great guy. Uh, but you know, Kind of can kind of be kind of a douchebag, but we all love him. Like, he was riding with me, and we go make the buy. We what we did was we sent her, sent her up to the house and we watch her go in. And uh, Paul's talking to me, and he goes, You know what? I think we all need to take better notes on each buy because normally we would just write down date, time, you know, where the address was, description of the house. He goes, We need to be more thorough in our notes. I was like, generally, I never listen to what Paul says, but this time <laughs> I, I listened to what he said. And I took very, very, very good notes. And she came back and she told us, I said, well, did you uh, be able to make the dope bite? She goes, yes, here it is. And then she described everything to me. I said, did you see any kids? No. 
Did you see any dogs? No. I said, did you see any guns? She goes, well, he just let me in for like about three feet. I didn't see any guns, but these guys are giant assholes. I wouldn't put them past them to have guns. I'm like, okay, so now we're going to be very careful and we're going to treat this house like they've got guns. So I just, I went and got a, a search warrant. I got a judge to sign it. And, um, I thought it would be just a search warrant just in case nothing happened that day and we had nothing to do. I'd be have like, Hey, here's a search warrant right here. It was kind of a back burner fail safe search warrant. Okay. Because I haven't, I hadn't got any information on this house. I hadn't heard anything about this address, any complaints on it. So the next day I go into work and I'm greeted at the office door by uh, my partner big steve and sergeant ron and they're like hey we heard that you might have uh some information where you could possibly make a buy from this address and i said well i've already made the buy i've got the search warrant right here in my folder i said why they said our the phone's been burning up we've got 30 complaints on them just today the neighbors are so angry they want something done right now I said, well, I got the search warrant right here. Well, they wiped off the, you know, the schedule of uh, a race board, you know, that had all these houses we was going to hit or buys was going to make that all got wiped off. And uh, it's like, we're going to do a super search warrant uh, right now. So we started doing all this planning and stuff. And right then it kicked back in my head. Oh, yeah, by the way, this is a day you're going to get shot. Yeah. When you're doing this search warrant. I was thinking to myself, I'm going to be the first one through the door. I'm getting shot today. It was just the weirdest premonition I've ever had. And so I really planned for this. Um, I had about 10 uniform officers ready to go, along with the 10 detectives with me. So we had a lot of people there. Right. And I had Paul and a guy named Mike. God rest his soul. He's now passed. But uh, I had them, they were to guard the back. And then the plan was Big Steve would hit the door and then I'd immediately run in the door and then everybody would fall in behind me and they all had each room they were supposed to search after we did what you call the takedown on everybody. Once we got everybody in the house um, under control. Right. And um, we really didn't know how many people were in the house. We didn't know anything because it was like, get this done now. And we're like, okay. So um, at the staging area, I've got all these officers, got all these detectives. And um, so I, we all went to the house in a big row, you know, of cars. Mm-hmm. And I was driving all the undercover detectives in our raid van because when it's your search warrant, you also drove the raid van. Okay. So every, everybody, I parked the van like about a house north of the target house. Everybody bells out and they're running and, you know, as fast as they can, they're all hyped up. And I'm just sitting there thinking, yeah, this is it. I'm going to go through this door and I'm going to get shot. And I just, I just ambled up to the house. I looked as calm as can be. All these guys are real tense and they're real amped up, ready to go. And I'm just like, yeah, okay, here we go. I walk up there, knock on the door, announce police officer search warrant. Police officer search warrant, no response. 
Big Steve takes the ram. I knew the door was going to, he was going to blast it off the hinges because he's six foot six and 320 pounds. Mm-hmm. So I knew that door was going to fly off. He hit that door and I just took off running again, screaming police. And immediately as I raced through there, there's a guy who falls right in front of me. He's running through the house. And I sensed there was a person in front of him. Didn't know it. Didn't seem. I just sensed it. Uh-huh. And so I'm chasing this guy through the house. And when he made a right turn and I made that right turn, he made like a left turn. Okay. And so I'm chasing him and he makes a right turn. I make the right turn. And then boom, he's gone. But I could see the bedroom door is just, is just kind of like moving. And I'm like, he's in, he's in the bedroom. Normally, like we had done like a couple hundred search warrants by this time. Right. Um, when, when they put us all back together. So I was used to the guys either diving out the window or dumping the cocaine down the commode. But this time, instead of bursting through the bedroom to get him from going out the window or dumping the cocaine in the toilet, I was like, well, hold on a second. And I had my gun out ready to go. And I, I said, man, I, I felt something didn't feel right. I slowly pushed the door open, the bedroom door. And the door was opening, to, would be to my left as I was facing the door. As I slowly opened it, and I had my gun in the ready position not down near my waist, the, the drug dealer, he had his back up against the wall on the right side of the door as I was looking at it. So I couldn't see him. Mm-hmm. And so when I slowly opened that door up, he rolled to his left, stuck his gun, his handgun, right in my face. Mm. And I was like, holy shit, you know, because you got to I'm looking down the barrel of a gun mm-hmm. and he pulls the trigger and he kind when he, he pulled hard on the trigger. So it pulled to my right. And so the bullet just whizzed past my face. And I then I could see his face and it was so angry. And then he shot it again. And it felt like somebody like took a little piece of metal and it got it real hot and just poked me in my shoulder. And I had a bulletproof vest on, but, you know, a bulletproof vest is like a tank top and where the bulletproof vest wasn't covering on my shoulder area. Uh-huh. I guess that's where the bullet entered there and just went clean through me. Wow. And I was standing there like, did this son of a bitch just shoot me? I mean, this was what was going on in my head. Wait a minute. Did this guy shoot me? No, he didn't shoot me. I'm, I'm still I'm, I'm still standing erect. Right. And what he did was he th- he then rolled behind the door. He kept rolling to my left and he hid behind the he stood behind the door. And so then I pushed the door open a little bit more. And he's now he's in a combat crouch stance, pointing the gun directly at me. Uh-huh. But I think he was in such shock that I was still alive because he thought he shot me twice in the face. Right. You know, like maybe right between the eyes. And he was stunned that I wasn't dead on the floor. And that was just the amount of time I needed. And I started a returning fire at him because he was definitely a threat to me. Yeah. And all he did was he moved here a little bit here, a little bit there, but he never fell to the ground. I couldn't even tell. I hit him five times. I couldn't even tell I hit him five times. Really? he didn't make a noise he didn't fall down he didn't do anything in fact what he did was he slammed the door in my face 
and proceeded to dive out the window. Now, luckily for me, I had Paul and Mike back there. And what they told me they heard was they heard um, police search warrant. And then, boom, the door flies open. And then they heard pop, pop. And then they heard me, boom, 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 boom. And next thing you know, this guy's diving out the window. And so what I did was after he slammed the door in my face, it was like, yeah, I, I think I'm sh-. And This is going through my head. I think I'm shot, but I'm not in pain mm-hmm. and I'm not, I don't feel like I'm bleeding to death and I can move around. So I just told everybody, I said, Hey, I've, I've, I've been shot. I think, um, everybody get behind me and get out of the house. So there was, like I said, like maybe eight to nine detectives in there. They all got behind me and then they took off out of the house. And one of the uniform guys, who's also a SWAT guy, was guarding the front doors. Everybody was leaving. And then he told me later, everybody goes rushing out. I guess I'm in shock now because the only way I can describe my actions now. Um, he says, everybody comes rushing out, all freaked out. And then here I come ambling out, you know, just like I've just left the, uh, AMP grocery store. And uh, he said, I kind of leaned over and whispered in his ear, like, hey, I think I've been shot. Like, I was like, keep it a secret, keep it under your hat. Yeah. I got a bullet hole in me. Then I walked outside and I saw Sergeant Ron. And I said, man, I, I think I've been shot. And as soon as I said that, like, Big Steve's ears perked up, what shot? Shot. He's been shot. Everybody starts freaking out. And this was February the 5th, 1999, so it was very cold out. I had a big coat on, and I had it rolled back. The lapels rolled back so you could see what it said, police, on my vest. Mm-hmm. So they're, like, freaking out, and I'm just like, uh, hey, what's up? And they ripped my jet coat off me, and then they ripped my bulletproof vest off me, and then they ripped my shirt off me. And I'm sitting there going, hey, I'm cold. Put all that shit back on. <laughs> I, I can't see it. But blood is shooting out of my back. Okay. And and so everybody's like, shit. And luckily my partner, Roxy, she ran started knocking on doors and she was able to get a bunch of towels from the people in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And she came and she put them towels on my back. So I'm sitting on my knees in the front yard freezing, but I'm covered in towels. And then I could hear the sergeant a uniform sergeant who was at the scene getting on the radio advising control. Uh, you know, I've been shot. There's a shooting occurred and they kept asking for my condition. And my, I think my number was like 1433. They're like, uh, what's 1433's condition? And he's, and Sergeant said, serious, serious. And she couldn't hear him. She kept saying 10, nine, which means repeat. And he finally, he, I could hear him say, he finally said possible 10, zero. Uh, which means dead and i said possible 10 zero dead no i'm here i'm alive yeah i was like i can hear you know and um and then i started thinking about that i was on my knees i could see now i could see the blood coming down my side and i was like man i'm gonna die on this shitty street here that's gonna suck then i started thinking oh my god this is gonna be so hard on my kids because they were like four and six this was what was going through my head i just started thinking about my kids you know growing up without their dad not knowing what their dad was like then i started thinking oh this is going to be hard on my dad you know for 
a father to see his son die before him. And I was like, oh, shit. And then I started thinking, you know, because I started getting, you know, I thought I was going to get emotional about this, not seeing my kids or my family again. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait a minute, don't start boohooing and crying because, you know, these smart ass assholes you work with, if you survive, I'll call you a giant pussy later. So I was like, <laughs> okay, suck it up and just don't say a damn word. Yeah. And so I'm I'm watching everything in action. There's ambulances. There's you could hear the sirens of cars. It's just like the whole side of the city was shutting down and police cars were just coming out of the woodwork. And, and then the ambulance got there and somebody goes, Hey, what took you guys so long? They said, we couldn't, we had to park a block away because of all the police cars. <laughs> so they throw me on a stretcher or the gurney or whatever. And they're, <laughs> they're rolling me through this alley. And if you know, our beloved city, the alleys are like shit with giant chuckles. So they're pushing me. <laughs> and I'm like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I was like, slow it down. <laughs> and uh, they finally get me to the ambulance. And he, the firemen, we all love firemen, even though they don't. I, we don't think they do as much as police, of course. But we all love firemen. They were the first guys on the scene there. And as I'm laying there, again, I'm keeping my mouth shut the whole time because I'm trying not to look like a sissy and a baby. <laughs> they're, they're, talking, they're talking about me like I'm not there. They're like, oh, man, do you think that bullet nicked his lungs? I hope not, because if that bullet nicked his lungs, he's going to drown in his own blood. I finally had to pipe in and say, listen, motherfuckers, I didn't get shot in the ears. I can hear what you're saying. Let's lower the volume down and, you know, the gloomy predictions. And and then they stick the, a needle in my arm to, to that put um, fluids in me. Uh-huh. And it wasn't a regular like little needle. It was like a turkey baster needle. They stuck in my wrist and it hurt like fucking hell. Bullet, I didn't feel anything. The turkey baster, I about lost my shit. And I go, ow, you sons of bitches. They go, oh, you could take a bullet, but he can't take a needle. And I'm like, well, that hurts. It hurts. And, and then I'm looking up this was in the winter time. So it was like five fifteen. the sun's starting to go down. And again, I'm starting to thinking, man, is this the last sunset? Am I ever going to see? It? I'm looking at the sunset. It was a very beautiful sunset. And is this the last one I'm going to see? And all of a sudden it was like an eclipse of the sun. Everything went blacked out. I thought, Oh fuck, I'm dead. And then it was, no, it was my buddy, Lieutenant Mark in homicide. He, he immediately got there and he stuck his head in the, line of the sun so i couldn't see anything because he's got a gigantic size football head <laughs> and i was like oh thank god it's I'm it's just dead. mark's yeah i'm not i'm not dead it's just mark's giant head blotting out the sun <laughs> and uh so then i knew when they said my blood pressure was fine and they quit talking about me dying i said i think i'm going to be okay i think i'm going to live yeah. And they they whisked me to the uh, the closest hospital, and when I got there, I was amazed by the amount of police cars and the people were there. They wheeled me in, and all the officers and all the workers of the hospital were unbelievable. They were like right on top of it, and they're all you know wishing me well and you know praying for me. And I was I was taken back. Uh, by the uh, amount of support I was getting from everybody. 
And uh, so when they put me in the hospital, they took me into the room and then uh, they said, what kind of pain medicine do you, we're going to give you morphine. I said, no, don't give me morphine. That makes me sick to my stomach. What did you want? What would you like? I said, I don't know. Dilaudid. That's what back then, that's what the hookers all used to prostitute for. They came back. <laughs> Dilaudid was such a great pain medication. I go, well, the hookers like Dilaudid. I'll take some. Let's give that a shot. Yeah, let's yeah, try that. Try that Dilaudid. So they, they hooked me up with Dilaudid. Next thing you know, it didn't relax me. It made me paralyzed. So I couldn't talk, see or anything, but I could hear. And we remember my old partner, Jim, God rest his soul. Yeah. He was immediately there and he was immediately turning things into a chaotic event. He kept, he was like uh, bugging the nurses and saying, Hey, my back's a little sore. I'm gonna, can we put that hose into me with that dilated? And I'm like, man, <laughs> if I can move my arms, I'm going to strangle him. That's the first thing I'm going to do. And the amazing thing about it was once the dilated kind of the effects of me being paralyzed wore off, then everybody's coming in, well-wishers and everything. And I was kind, it was kind of like, I've, you know, I lived through this, you know, I'm, I'm doing okay. And then uh, my wife and my two little kids came in and that's when it got really real. Cause I started realizing, man, you came real close to never seeing them again, or they would ever see you again. And that's when it, that's when reality hits you right in the face. And uh, I was like, I came so close to dying 10 minutes ago. And what even hit it more home was a couple of weeks later when I went in for, you know, a, a follow-up, the doctor told me, she goes, nobody wanted to tell you this, but that bullet that went ripped through your shoulder, it came less than a quarter of an inch away from that artery that runs what the brachial artery or something. What is the artery that runs, runs along your shoulder? Uh, the widow, man. We'll call it the, we'll call it the shoulder artery. Right. She told me the the nurse, I mean the doctor. The doctor said, if that would even have nicked that artery, you'd have took one step back and fa fell down dead. Wow. And I was like, holy shit! How lucky! The guy was only about a foot and a half away from me, and oh, I was uh, like, damn. Super E. Yeah, I mean, this is this is amazing. I, I think for the constraints of time that we're up against, we're going to make this one a two parter. OK, because um, a train and I want to dive into some of the things that were going on during this event and then kind of let's leave it here at the hospital where we know you're good. And then let's make this in a two parter so we can really dive into after when you came back to work and all those things are you good with that that sounds like a great idea jay that sounds like a plan i got them if you just you know every now and then i got them. every now and then that's right yeah all right all right hey right. train anything to take us out of this and then we're gonna get back on this one. yeah i don't have a lot to say all right a little speechless folks uh yeah so are we and um this is just another um great example of what the police can go through to uh, just for our, for our people, you know, 
What, what do you think about that, uh, Super E? Anything to say? I, I'm speechless on this one. Nope. It's just, you know what? We'll dig into it when we start uh, part two of this. Sounds because there's, there is a lot that goes on afterwards that is sometimes even tougher than the actual shooting itself. Absolutely. All right. Until then, A-Train, take All us All right. Out. Okay. See you, everybody. Bye. Take care.